This is Expats by Experience Podcast. I want to mark the first anniversary of the EBE Podcast. We started last year in June 2022 to create a safe space for people with lived experience in the UK asylum system to share their stories and opinions. My name is Azad Hosseini, the creator and editor of the EBE Podcast, and I want to thank you all for being our loyal listeners. Hello, good afternoon. My name is Jason, and I will be your co-host alongside with Hain. We are doing this podcast in celebratory of Pride Month, and we're going to talk about a lot of topics pertaining to what Pride means to us in 2023, and also as LGBTQ asylum seekers, what our issues and how we, the process is for us with the Home Office, and what are the daily uh, disadvantages we deal with. I'm currently from Doncaster, and I represent Spectrum Rainbow Community, which is an LGBTQ support group based in Doncaster, as well, Time to Be Out, a charity based in York, and also Brass Voice. I will let my mate here, Hain, introduce himself as well. Hello, everyone. I'm Hain. I'm currently working in Refugee Action in Digital Comms. I'm originally from Burma, and I am an LGBTQ plus asylum seeker as well. And as we all know, this is Pride Month, so we are really excited to work alongside LGBTQ plus asylum seekers to speak about their experiences in the asylum system and the struggles that they face. Hi everybody, I'm Jessica, currently living in Doncaster. I'm in Spectrum Rainbow Community and also in Time to Be Out and last lesbian supporting group for women who are asylum seeking. Hi everyone, my name is Rena. I reside in Doncaster. I'm an LGBTQ asylum seeker. I'm a part of Spectrum Rainbow Community and also Time to Be Out. That is a community based in York, but I attend most of my meetings in Sheffield. And I currently work as a volunteer at Doncaster Conversation Club in Doncaster. Right, so let's talk pride and what pride means to everyone here at this, at this round table. Because I think more than ever, Pride this year in 2023, LGBTQ rights have been under attack more than any time in the 54 years of what we've been fighting for, free to be ourselves and free to have the rights within the demographics of being human. <laughs> so I'll start with you, Hain. What does Pride mean to you this year more than anything else? Currently, over 70 countries in the world criminalize homosexuality and being gay, a lesbian, transgender in the world, especially in the global south and some countries in the global north are atrocious right now. There are less rights. So pride means to me to be free from persecution and to celebrate who you are and to be proud of who you are as well. Um, for me, pride means celebrating you, your own self, you know, as the person who you want to be and also not trying to be too much in a closet or trying to hide your sexuality. Pride is just be the person who you want to be and not let anyone, you know, tell you, oh, you can't be this or you can't be that. Just be yourself. Basically, that's pride for me. And for me, I feel like pride is who you are. You need to accept yourself first because when you start thinking about what people are saying and all that, it means you haven't accepted who you are. So just be yourself. 
Love yourself and celebrate the month of pride. I think for me, pride is in finding oneself. There are so many bridges and waters you have to go across to get to who you are in finding out what is your sexual preference, what is your mindset in the world, how are you, how are you different from other people in views. So pride for me is where you fit in the world. And once you can find that place that you know I'm comfortable with who I am, how I look, how I feel. I'm not too bothered with other people's opinions or judgment, but I'm aware that I'm different and I can celebrate the uniqueness that makes me, whether female, gender, transgender, intersex, pansexual, copiosexual, omnisexual. It's about the individuality. So it's for me, it's always a freedom of individuality versus freedom of sexuality. And that is always a big uh, tug of war. But pride is finding out exactly what are you proud of in yourself from the journey you've made, from who you were to who you are now. Because one thing about our community is that we celebrate pride and being proud. Uh, what are we proud about so far as LGBTQ communities, but also as LGBT person seeking asylum? What are we most proudful about from what we've experienced in our own native countries of not having to be free to be ourselves? Individually, what each of you guys here at the table are proud about? <laughs> what a question. <laughs> Thank you for that. I'm proud of the inclusivity in the UK and I'm proud that the UK thrives to be a society where gay people can be accepted, gay people or queer people in general can be accepted and they can live their authentic selves here. And as LGBT asylum seekers, I think, you know, we don't get that opportunity in our home countries where we are persecuted by family or police or external forces. And what I'm proud of is that the UK is a place that could offer sanctuary to LGBTQ plus asylum seekers. And we should continue that here. I agree big time. Jesse, darling, what are you most proud of? I'm proud of everything here is so smooth. You can do whatever you want. Nobody will be judging you like nobody will be standing in your way saying this or that. So being in the UK, comparing to my home country, I'm free. And I come to accept the point that I'm lesbian and I'm happy for that. I'm really proud of being here and celebrating this month as well. So, I'm so happy to hear that mm -hmm. because we're not categorizing, but being from African culture and being homosexual, whether you're gay or lesbian, I, I always wonder how a black woman deals with the factor because you're always kind of at the center point of everything mm -hmm. uh, when you step out. So I'm really happy to hear those words come out of your mouth that you feel at this point you're proud that you can be yourself. Reina, Queen, let's hear you. What are you proud about? Firstly, I'm proud about for having the opportunity to live an open gay life that I want to live here, which I couldn't do back home in my country um, due to religion and due to family and political reasons also. I won't say in the UK that you don't get people still discriminating the LGBT community. I've personally had a couple incidents, but I still don't let that get me down. You know, I still say, you know, this is who I am and I'm happy with who I am. So that's the main thing, you know, for me that makes me happy. You know, I'm Rena at the end of the day. <laughs> Downright is. I think, you know, that brings me to another question quickly. 
as a LGBT asylum seeker, religion and your sexual individuality is always a contest. And the Home Office, when doing your interviews, the questions are quite strategical when it's your sex. They, they ask, hey, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a girlfriend? Uh, what kind of type of sex do you have? It's amazing how those questions, they are not determined for those who are heterosexual asylum seekers. They are only determined for those who are of LGBTQ. So my question is, as your religious faith, as an LGBTQ person, and your individuality as a gay man, do you feel they are one or do they get separated in your dealings with the Home Office, in dealing with your case? Do you see that there's a, a separation you see that it becomes one? Well, I would say for me, one, because basically at my interview, um, I wasn't really asked much question about, you know, pertaining to my religion or anything. I was only asked, uh, you know, question about relationship or, or anything like that and how I see myself as, you know, as a, you know, openly gay person. Um, the questions I was asked, like, do I live an open gay life and all these things, you know? So, yeah, it's all in one for me. Yeah. Oh, that's great to hear. I think that one of the dangers of homosecularism or LGBTQ asylum seekers is that your faith and your, your individuality gets contested. I grew up Buddhist. And in Buddhist culture, you are a homosexual because you cheated in your marriage last life. And that's why you're not lucky enough to be straight this life, because being straight is such a privilege to them. But Buddhism as a whole, as a religion, even in history, has been very homo-friendly. And it has a culture of celebrating homosexuality. So I do find it difficult to connect both of them because of cultural beliefs. But in terms of just looking at religion purely, I do believe I can reconcile my identity with my religion. How about you? My mother was Catholic, my father was Anglican, my grandfather Methodist. So I grew up in southern part of the Caribbean. I learned from my parents and they did not force their religion on me and I found my spirituality on my own. So I have a relationship with my beloved, who I call God. My sexuality, I came out to my parents at a young age, at 15. So I had that lovely nesting before I went out into the world. And when I hit 20 and my own ethnic people and the world started to not see me, just start to pick me apart individually. So I agree with Raina that for me, it's one. But from, from the stories and experiences I've seen from persons seeking asylum, LGBT-wise, it's not that easy, especially for Islamic folk and men who are very strong in their faith and not welcome in mosques if they're a gay Muslim. There are small social groups that are, are very helpful, especially when one is very strong in their faith and they want to talk to their God, whomsoever that is and what they believe in, that you're being ostracized from having that relationship. You already do not want to identify me as an individual, but then you want to take away my faith from me having a relationship with my God. That's, I just find it absolutely mean that someone wants to take those two most valuable things that makes you who you are, right? So for me, it, it's always been that it's one. I've never separated the two, but society and some people in society want to deconstruct me into nothing. Chess, you come from a region of Africa where it's very religious. If it was in Africa, I would say it's different mm. because like in Africa, you just can't be a lesbian and everybody know at the church that Jessica is a lesbian and you, 
ended that church, they cut the bond. You can't go to certain events and all that. But when it comes to here, it's really, I would say it's one. There are churches that accept you for being lesbian and there are Christian churches. So to me, it's like being in the UK or with the home office, I think it's one because they don't ask you about your religious or whatsoever. The only thing they want to know is, do you have a partner? Show me the evidence and all that. So it's definitely just one to me. I don't have a problem with it here, comparing it to back home. Mm-hmm. I know you've not had your presumptive interview as of yet. Mm-hmm. Through your social support groups, you've heard the stories of the questions being asked mm-hmm. about your sexuality. So far, what has been your idea of what to expect? Are you expecting or how do you feel about those questions, what you've heard so far? I feel like it's difficult because you have the evidence, but they are failing to accept it. I think this is happening because of some people living a fake life, people lying to be who they are not, and this is standing in our way. You have all the evidence, you have been through so much, scars on your body, everything, but still they don't want to accept it. So it's a bit stressful when it comes to that. And also for those that went for the interviews, I mean, they have everything the home office is asking for, but still the answer or the the feedback is taking so long. They are pro- like taking our rights away from us because you have to wait for a year waiting for your answer. And that's that's really unfair. So the burden of proof for LGBTQ plus asylum seekers is very high. I've been through it myself where I am expected to send photos of my ex-boyfriend and I've been intimate to prove my sexuality. And it felt honestly degrading and it felt dehumanizing. And I've worked with asylum seekers who are LGBTQ+, who have stated that they have never been in a relationship back home, but they got exposed for being uh, transgender or gay or being part of the LGBTQ community. And now they're being persecuted, but they don't have that physical evidence yet. My question to you is, how do you feel about the burden of proof and how much has it affected you? Like you having to prove yourself to the home office that you're gay, even if you have evidence. I don't think, you know, it should go to that extent, expose like, you know, like private conversations that you and your partner had, even like photos and everything. But, you know, as I always say, um, they're doing their job and you can't tell them what to do. So, but for me, I felt a bit, you know, it was something that shouldn't be done. Like, honestly, yeah. Okay, to me, I also feel the same because why must you go through that? You don't need to go through that. It's too much. Not everyone wants to show their nakedness or expose themselves in such ways. LGBTQ asylum seekers go through so much. It's not easy for us. When it comes to that part, it's unfair and not easy. It's stressful. That's where depression comes in because you might tell your partner like, babe, let's do this. And your partner is saying, no, you're not sending my naked pictures or videos. Then what happens from there? It's again another procedure that you need to do or something else you need to gather. It's very unfair. That's all I can say. I think what stands out for what Raina said is that it's their job. That's not their job for me. Your job is to evaluate and vet exactly the facts as I present them to you of myself. 
It's like you go into a job interview and you have to have these qualifications to get to that position of executive manager or such. It's very simple. What has made it personal is when you ask to see pictures of my, the most private moments I have behind closed doors and you want to invade on that privacy, that is something now you have on file. So I feel degraded and morally and personally, emotionally raped mm. when you do that because you have something that I've done with someone I had a chemistry I'm in love with. And why would I take a video of sexual intercourse and have that on video for you to view, to prove that I am gay? It becomes more like a porn show for me personally, in my one opinion. So you're working within the home office, which is, let's agree, it is absolutely massive, right? And the departments are underformed and they do not correlate with one another. But what really gets me is how it is the targeted version of LGBTQ asylum seekers pertaining to your sex and how, what type of sex you had. These type of questions for me are more pervertish. You're not seeing me because myself, Jason, I'm hoping you've, this is who I am. This is what I've dealt with. I've provided you with the facts of I've been assaulted because I'm an openly gay man. I've provided you with witness statements of that. Why do I have to provide sexual video and photography of personal moments I have with my partner or partners? That has become intrusive. One of the things that I always say, it's in a form, like you said about sending intimate photos or intimate videos. In some ways, it's very similar to revenge porn. It's trying to watch you being intimate and it serves no purpose other than to confirm what is already up there, yeah. confirm what is already said. And I've, although I did not send any like sexual photos, I did have to send photos of me and my ex-boyfriend kissing, who I don't yeah. personally speak to anymore because we had a bad relationship. Yeah. This felt so degrading and dehumanizing. And it's done, I feel like, on purpose yeah. to break you, to make you feel like you shouldn't be here. And this is like architecture of the hostile mm. environment. It's to make you feel unwelcome. It's to make you feel unsafe. So my next question is, in an ideal world mm. where LGBTQ plus asylum seekers are accepted and given a fair chance, what would it look like? What could home office do to make it better for LGBTQ plus asylum seekers? That's a good question. That's a, that's a very strong question. That's a strong yeah. question. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, let's start with the young people at the table. Yeah. I'll leave you all to do that one. That one is hard. I'll start. I think one thing that I would like home office to look at each country and its context and understand that religion, politics, everything plays such a big role. And to just believe us when we say we are suffering. What Haynes said, I'm just going to add to that a little. I think they need to accept the evidence, like medical records, everything, what they are asking for. They need to make us feel safe because we came to seek asylum. So... I don't know why they don't want us to feel safe and always be depressed with this, especially in our countries. They need to know that this country don't allow this. A month ago in my country, they allowed same-sex marriage to be accepted in the country, but only when you are not Namibian. You can be a couple, married, got married outside Namibia, and come into Namibia. You are not Namibians. It's 
you are going to be accepted. But I, like me being Namibian, marrying my partner here and going back there, they won't accept it. So they really need to look at these facts also because things are happening and people might end up killing themselves. That's what I think. Like everyone said, they would like for Home Office to believe us and accept us for claiming for who we say we are. But in another way, we've got people who use the term LGBTQ to try to get their way around the Home Office. Because mm-hmm. most of them think that, okay, if you're an LGBTQ asylum seeker, it's easy for you to get your, your status. And with that being said, we have a lot of people who guys, for instance, and well, also girls, they pretend to be LGBTQ. And after they've received their status, they're no longer LGBTQs. And these are the people who comes in and they take the places of the real ones. For instance, you, you know, there's been people, you know, I've heard of, they came here, pretend to be LGBTQ. The moment they've received their, their status, they're no longer LGBTQ. So in a form... People are like literally sometimes making it difficult for people in the, in the LGBTQ community. They live in the home office, you know, in like sort of like confusion. We need to get down to the bottom of this to, to have this person prove that they're really this because even they themselves will probably realize that this person doesn't look gay. And that's why most times they do want people to prove themselves because I think they're probably getting to a point now where they probably say, this person don't look LGBTQ. So we want them to like really show that they're LGBTQ. So in that form, yeah, we do want them to believe us, but then it's people who are literally causing all of this. Yeah. And to summarize everything, what everyone has said here at, at this table, the issues for me is at a policy standard point. This is their vetting system. Let's make it very clear right now. The Home Office needs reformation. And whomsoever is in government, whether it's Labour or Tory, reformation or immigration goes sideways. It's always pie-shaped. Whomsoever is in power, whomsoever is Home Secretary. It's not gotten any better, nor it's gotten any good. It's much more worse than ever since the Tories have been in power. But the issues for me pertaining to is on the vetting of persons seeking asylum LGBT-wise or non-LGBT is on information. We have all, we all leave a paper trail from our home country. That can be tracked through embassy, through the addition of work and correspondences that you give in email, names, phone contacts and numbers. Pertaining to the sexual needing to see the sexual photos and videos, that is that there's a uh, do no harm dish clause that the Home Office needs to follow, especially within interviewing person seeking asylum, whether you're LGBTQ or non-LGBTQ. Some of that is followed, some of it is not. That needs to be properly put into policy and mandated and followed. Pertaining to accommodation for a trans person or those who are going through transition, There needs to be, from the housing provider, a better policy of adherence in social, anti-social behavior awareness, and also weekly check-in in that accommodation, especially with dueling cultural misinformation and integration from someone who is from Iran, who's dealing with someone who is from the Caribbean or Africa or Southeast Asia because they are different and cultural in dealing with persons, even if they're non-LGBTQ. There needs to be better social inclusion and awareness to that with housing wardens. 
also pertaining to the factor of in dealing with the factor of single parents who are transgender or who are LGBT, gay or lesbian, having kids and what accommodation they're living within or having those needs are necessary to speak mental health, to deal with socially within that community, wherever they are at, having that assistance needed. There are so many policies I would like to see enacted that needs that reform into. Could I just add yeah. something to that? Um, also, like certain communities, if someone claims to, you know, be LGBTQ, I think you should, you know, at least have some sort of in what community you put that person in. Because, you know, you can have a person living in a community, for instance, like me, and, you know, sometimes I will want to dress up and leave my house and I can't do it. I'm not worried about the people in my house, but it's people in my community. In that form, you're like, I still can't really do the things that I want to do. For instance, like when I wanted to go pride, I literally couldn't dress like from my house and walk the streets, you know, to, to dress how I wanted. I had to get dressed on the bus. And, you know, these are the things that I wish they, you know, they would really look at the community that you're, you're placed in. Yeah, and I think that comes down to local authorities where we live in. And I would like to see more local authorities have a working relationship, not to say that some do not, but in the north, there are not a few that have a big relationship with the Home Office pertaining to LGBTQ rights and how integration is going in. Um, on asylum seekers getting false statements and false advertising of you being gay and taking someone's spot, we, we can't escape it. There will always be a dirty egg in a basket, right? But one thing I would like to see them do is follow up in checking if that person is still in that social LGBT social support group. Are they still maintaining? Are they living with partner and such? There still needs to be check-ups. It doesn't need to be authoritarian like the Gestapo, but it needs to be done in such a social way that of awareness to say, okay, we're just wanting to make sure that you're integrating, you're having, you're safe, you feel safe. I would like to see follow-ups within leading up before their nationalization of it because a lot of them get away with it that they've got their passport, they've gotten their status for the five years and they go off, they get married, have kids and it's stamped that they are gay and legally LGBTQ when they're not. So I like to see that those changes happen. As we know, Home Office does not have a specific policy for LGBTQ asylum seekers and housing. They put LGBTQ asylum seekers with people from their own countries who can be homophobic towards them or in regions in England which are homophobic or really hostile towards asylum seekers. Have you both been in a Home Office accommodation? My housing accommodation where I first lived, when I first moved in, I would say for the first um, three weeks, I'd never come out of, out of my room because the guys from my house, three of them, they were from Iran. And, you know, I didn't know, like, are these people, they're not welcoming to LGBTQ people. So for like three weeks, I've just been locked up in my room. The only time that I'll come out is when I know that they've left the house so that's the only time I'll come out of my room to have my shower, to prepare food and all that. And along the way, gradually, I've been granted a visit by Julia. She's one of the person that runs um, Doncaster Conversation Club. And she visited me and 
you know, we had a chat. I explained to her what my situation was and then she offered me to do volunteering work with her. And then, you know, that kind of like get me out of the house once a week to come and do volunteering work. And then, you know, along the way, I found myself exploring more and more about Doncaster. And then, you know, certain days I'd find myself out the house and not worrying about these guys. But most of them received their status and then new ones came in. And when the new ones came in, the moment I lay eyes on them, like, I was like, oh, he's gay. And I said to myself, well, you know, he's going to come out to me when he's ready. And, you know, so said, so done, you know. I didn't have to ask them, you know, are you LGBTQ or anything? They came out to me on their own time and we all get along like really well. You know, even I've moved from my old house and I'm living in a new house now and it's still the same. Everyone there respects me, you know. I haven't had any bad experience. Uh, I was in a hostel in, in Sheffield. It was a ladies hostel so i didn't have any problem with anybody in my housemates are also from the hostel iranian they don't have a problem with me so i'm cool they know i'm lesbian and they accepted me so i don't have any problem apart from the community out there well we're in manchester aren't we um yeah um i think with with me I didn't have any problems in my house. I was um, the one informing them there are certain rules of decorum in, in sharing a household. So I moved to Doncaster in 2019. I've had a couple of, in all, about eight people move in and out of my accommodation in Doncaster. It's all about, for me, having a conversation and understanding both one another, but also understanding where is the personal space Okay, if you don't factor you don't like gay people or you have aversions to it, that's fair enough. But whilst you're in this house with me, you will respect my ass and you will follow accordance what is happening, right? And I have relations with the housing warden about it. And we sit down in a round table. I said, this is what we all know the rules. We all respect each other. Let's not forget right here. This is where the line draws. You brought all what happens in Iraq and those laws Islamic laws do not correspond here in the United Kingdom. You don't like me, fair enough. I'm not going to be at your funeral. You're not going to be at mine. But you will respect what is accordance me and what is here because you've moved to a country where you wanted the freedoms. However, if you've not opened up yourself to them, fair enough, time will tell. So I always try to make sure within my household that whatever their views, political, sexual, personal we can have those hard conversations that respect must be given so it's, it's been worked out very well so far since i've been living in britain i love that <laughs> i love that you're not letting them get away with anything yeah no one should i wanted to ask this because we were talking about pride but we forgot the most important question how do you intend to celebrate pride yourself it can be something private in your room or if you can be in public but just tell us. Yeah. Well, that's done and dusted. <laughs> I'm partying, drinking, winding down. All right. Well, for me, oh, I don't want to spill the beans, but for me... Uh, it already spilled it, it, it was already spilled <laughs> at York. 
it was already spilled at York, you know. Oh, oh yeah. Lady in pink. Oh, yeah, it was pink and dishes. on the streets. Pink and dishes. Lorena shut it down mm. at York Pride. You know, that's me. You, you know, I wish every day I could just dress up like leave my house in feminine clothing because me honestly that's what i like i like my lingeries i like my wigs i like my makeup i like all these things but i can't i still can't do it you know it's just because of the community where i live but for for me but you know pride but we're working on it though you can come i mean we still have a lot of work to do in doncaster and met and socially as we've been going out I've got to say, Raina is very introverted, as you can see. So my hidden process has always been for her is just working on not just evolving it. I want sometimes in certain social standings, an extra, that extrovertness just pops out and bursts. And it, it's been wonderful in the past two years. It's yes, bursting it out. Been, yeah. You know, I need to show people who I really am. And, you know, that's why for your pride, you know, a lot of people were surprised because they've never seen me in that form before. And obviously, you know, I've been keeping it like that, you know, due to my surroundings and all that. Like um, sometimes when you tell someone, especially, well, I've had experience with ladies where I live. One lady, she came up to me at the bar and was like, my friend is into you. I said, into me? I said, darling, I want what she wants. And, you know, she was like, oh, shame on you. I was like, darling, it's not shame on me, shame on you. I said, because we both want the same thing. You want it, I want it. So I said, exactly. And she was like, but you don't, yeah. you don't look gay. I said, listen to me, darling. I said, gay doesn't, gay doesn't have look. I said, not, 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 not because I say I gay, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't mean I have to have a special look. You know, so don't judge a book by its cover. The cover-up. ideology in the head was supposed to be fruity and dancing like fairies I know, in the right? garden. I know, but it, and also the thing about it is, it happens with is these heterosexual flex guys who want to are questioning themselves. Mm. The big other children, siblings in the family, yes. the cues, yes, the questioners, mm-hmm. and Matt. Let me tell you, in Yorkshire, the questioners are rampant. Oh, you don't Very. know about the questioners. The questioners they are, are so rampant. The straight men hmm. who every dabble into the pond every now and then. When it suits them, the question is they're still Thank questioning, you. right? You have a long-term relationship or your off-and-on relationship. Mm. You're into kinky and other stuff. Mm. Your sexual, you're expanding your sexual independence. Exactly. The cues. Those are the little siblings in the family, the little last lot I like to deal with a lot. Oh, and yeah. in Doncaster, oh, they come out I've in bumped, birds. I've bumped into quite a few, a few of them. Yeah, the cues. We call them the cues. Because, right. for instance, you know, one day I was walking down the streets, I was wearing my shorts and all that, you know, and this guy came up to me and he was like, oh, can I have your Snapchat? And I was like, do I know you? Why would you want my Snapchat? <laughs> and, you know, the way um, he approached me, I just felt a bit off. And ever since I, I, I've never gave him my Snapchat, every time he sees me in town, if he's by himself, he won't say anything to me. But if he's with a group of friends, he'd be quick to be like, oh, look at him, he's gay. In my mind, I'm like, oh, darling, you're only mad just because you can't be who you want to be and I'm being who I want to be. I said, 
So uh, what point are you trying to prove? I don't know. I had my like fair share of these questionable men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went slow with a few of them. Cues. <laughs> Cues. Um, took, took a while for them, but some of them has messaged me back and saying, oh yeah, I finally come out of the closet after a few years. Yeah. But you know, I yeah. think they're just struggling a lot with this I don't deal with it's oil and water. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yes, yes. You tell them. Girls won't question me, obviously. Mm. They know they won't question me. So men... Men do question mm-hmm. me a lot. And there's also an old member of mm-hmm. us, like in Spectrum. He's been like on my case and I just met him like last week, like in town. Also, we met he's with his girlfriend. So I greet them because we are from oh, the same right. country. FYI, before interruption, the, the guy, gentleman she's speaking about is no longer a member of Spectrum. Thank you. Our vetting process is very long. We do not stop. Uh, or have a stoppage time or hours, the person is no longer. Continue, Mark, my queen. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy, so he he never saw me, like, physically, like, he never met me. So that was the first time he met me. And he's been like, then I greet them both, and I ask him, do you know me? Do you, Did you recognize me? Oh, no, I don't know you. Oh, wow. After five minutes, he just video called me. I declined. And he's like, can I come over to yours just for a few minutes? I can come visit you. And I was like, hell no. I already told you, stop bothering me. I don't want to. And he's like, but why are you a lesbian? I, You know I mean to you? He's even telling me, like, I can be your side chick. And I was like, what is he talking about? He's like, <laughs> then I told him, like, I'm, I'm no more in Namibia. So I don't need to hide who I am. I'm proud exactly. of who I am. So... Why be with a man if I know I won't really like it? Ugh. I'm not into men. I'm into women is what I told him. And if you want to be into one, mm-hmm. make sure it's good looking, not something look like the backside of a turd. Let me tell you a, a little bit about myself. I'm a mom of three. So mm. I don't hate my kids at all because they are a gift from God. But then having those kids... It was not easy because you had to pretend and mm-hmm. make your family proud of who you are really mm-hmm. not. Yeah. So you have to give birth. I was nearly forced to marry someone I didn't want to. Mm-hmm. Like things can happen. So me being here and free. Amen. I would say I'm free. Yes, I'm yeah. free. But then somehow, you know, you left your kids back home. Yeah. So you are not yet settled and it's all stressing. Yeah. But then... I'm free here. I can date whoever I want, but not a man. I just can't because I can't be with a man and like be in a relationship with a man because I know like I would just be pretending or lying to them. So yes. why do it if I know I don't like men exactly. really? So I'm proud of who I am. I'm a lesbian. Yes. You know, just to add on that, you know, for me growing up in the Caribbean, by now I've ended up in my situation back home, which caused me to be here. When you're a young man growing up, you know, your families would expect you to at least bring home, like, have a girlfriend by the age 18, 19. They will want you to introduce, you know, they will literally want you to be, you know, bringing home girlfriends and stuff at at these age. And, you know, for me, it would have been a bit of a challenge. And maybe as, you know, Jesse said, you know, if I didn't end up in my situation, which had me here, you know, maybe in, in a form, you know, I would have had to force to do things I didn't want to do. You know, it's not something easy. So that's why I, I tell people, you know, me being here and being the person who I want to be, like, just leave me alone. 
You live That's your true. life. I live my life. Mm-hmm. Like when you reach like seven, eight years, that, yeah. that's when you, you start, you know, finding your, your yourself like... Discovery age. Yeah, yeah. because cool. that's cool. literally me. Because for me, I grew up in a background where most of my cousins are girls. And with me growing up around a lot of girls, that made me knew who I was. I would play with dolls. Sometimes they would dress me up. They would put on dress on me when my sisters are away. I'll wear their shoes, I'll wear, you know, all of this helped me, you know, to find the person who I am today. It all has to do with certain backgrounds too. I think one of the things, um, well, not one, but a, a prerequisite in our community I look forward to is that we still have a lot of work to do. Let's be aware. We've come far, but we've all, for all 10 steps forward, there is always 22 steps back. <laughs> And um, I think recognizing the different affiliations that make up LGBTQ plus Plus, communities, there are still divisions between the the pronouns, between the orientations, especially the newly evoked orientations of bisexual Mm -hmm. versus pansexual versus sexually fluid versus yeah, there there are still little. You know, in, in the family, they're still brothers and sisters working out. Well, you don't have to be all this all the time, that old. And there is still a big of biphobia and bi-erasure. I think it's it's massive, massively from 2022. I, I've not seen it, it come to fruition more so here in the new age of uh, BL films and LGBTQ movies as Heartstopper. When one of the characters was forced because on social media, which is death, death star for me, for LGBTQ, anyone wanting to come out on their own time, you know, don't be on social media. If that be because that one is a spotlight so big that you can't eat, it's a burning sun. And he had no choice because of comments from fans of the TV show forcing the issue by pushing, oh, I think you're by, I think you're by. Is that that bi erasure still exists more than so, and it comes fortuity for our, for our most vulnerable. This year has been more attack on trans I've never seen in the past three years since COVID. It's been an attack on trans rights and trans women and the kids, uh, you know, and gender dysphoria has been under attack in so many ways by polit- politicizing policies that and under the disguise, oh, we're trying to save our children. No, you're trying to pronounce your your isms mm-hmm. of what you don't like in my life and secretly you're doing things behind closed doors and then coming with your hypocrisy to stop me and my partner and other people in my community from living our lives. These are the new things we need to focus on, you know, gravitating on, campaigning. I want us not to forget about allies. They are so valuable, our LGBTQ allies out there. You're not forgotten. You're always there. We have to remember them because sometimes we do take them for granted. You know, those who accept us and in all our colors and arrangements, we need to make sure and always put a spotlight on. Thank you for being there. Thank you so for being there and continue being there because they help us through this war. That's true. I like it. (laughs) Don't have much to say to you. In my home country, they are chased by the police. Mm-hmm. They're sexually assaulted and they are humiliated in specific ways that are just breaching their human rights. And it's really sad to just see the same thing happens in the UK, the same thing happened in America, 
where people use religion or cultural beliefs to justify this amount of bigotry towards yeah. a discriminating minority. And I, I don't get the trans hate at all because it, just let them like, Period. if they want to be a woman, be a woman. Like It's not really affecting mm-hmm. you. Exactly. And you're so like stressed about it. It's giving insecurity and, Period. you know, they need to grow up a bit. <laughs> I say- and I also think, like, for LGBT uh, people, I think you need to accept who you are because you came in the UK for asylum. If you pay more attention to what the community is saying out there, you won't accept yourself exactly. and it's where you'll be. You're still trying to figure out who you are and being in the closet and that will give you depression because with everything going on, your case is pending. You're still waiting for decision or you haven't went to court and all that. It's going to eat you up. Accept who you are for the community out there to also say we give up on this one. She's she's a lesbian. You came to the UK for protection, which you got. And you are allowed to be who you are in this country. So just just be yourself. Don't pay attention to what people are saying about you. Love yourself for who you are because you know you are not a wannabe. You are that person. So don't allow the community to ruin you. I will say this. The thing about when you've had power and you've been the flag bearer of what humanity is supposed to be. And this is no effect on Caucasian people. But if you are willing to breach all manners of decorum to get to where you are, the British Empire is built on sweat and blood, right? Old money, old grudges and such. But humanity is built on peer pressure and subversion. Someone has been a slave to someone, whether you were Chinese, whether you were Mandarin, whether you were black, whether you were brown. Someone has been oppressed and someone has been the oppressor. The issue for me now, more than ever now, is that we've now come to a culture wars, especially here on this island, I've noticed, where predominantly the Britishness is is being attacked. And I don't know what that word is. It's not even, I've heard it on the radio and I go, Britishness, what the heck is that? It's more nationalist than those feeling. British culture is being subjugated in some form of way by migrants and asylum seekers. I said, we have not taken anything from you. We've not taken your jobs. We've not taken your heritage. We are coming here because our own country is not giving us the freedoms to be ourselves. And you're offering a safe haven for us to be who we are and integrate within your house. That's like me coming to your house and wanting to burn it down. I've not come to burn down your house. I've come to help you expand your house. That's where we've arrived here for. Yeah. Also, it's, it's really like hypocritical because especially immigrant communities from all over the time has contributed so much to the UK and made British culture. Definitely. British culture is not something that's just white. Yeah, and to like claim is. British culture as this like, like homogenic, mm. like one belief or like just white, it's just so, it's behind and it needs to be more inclusive because British culture has progressed so much and it's going to progress. Mm-hmm. So it's either accepting mm-hmm. or destruction. You're going to have those bits of people that are in it's a small portion of the population who are that self-involved. I don't want to see a a woman wearing a hijab um, in a shop or I don't want Muslims living next to me. These are people who cannot live outside their box. I've met people in the past nine years living on this island who have never traveled outside of England. And it tells in their speech, it tells in their thinking and how they view what they see on the news, on the the telebox. They think it's, it's 
the mass truth that the world is scary. Yes, the world is scary. That's one truth. But it's not that scary. Everywhere is scary. Being in your backyard is scary sometimes. <laughs> Accidents can happen. right? But it just shows how island fever is a thing we use back in the Caribbean. And people forget this is an island. And let me inform you, if no one, British people have massive island fever Did about you? themselves, even about their neighbours, the devolved nation from the Welsh across to the Cornish, <laughs> to the Scots, to the Northern Irish, to the Irish. And they have some serious island fever about the most minuscule things. And I, I grew up on that back home in the Southern Caribbean on island fever, where it acts as, oh, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming to take this from, oh, I'm seeing too much of you around. I, I, it happened, it started from the 60s, from uh, Enoch Powell's River of Blood speech. He was more worried about pe- persons of, of people of colour. Black movement incorporated, in said they're going to wipe us out. How am I going to wipe out a generation of bloody Caucasian people? Do I look like a Ebola virus? <laughs> Right? No. But it just tells you the fear of being a minority when you have power and you see your power slipping away. And that's the sad thing. It wasn't power. It's just evolution. People grow, people change. And some people are not ready for change. But guess what? Change is going to happen whether you like it or not. Exactly. How we go about it? That's a different story. Exactly. That's up to us. Come on, sing Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Castbox. For more information, please visit the Refugee Action website. And to catch up with the latest, you can follow Refugee Action on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. We want to declare that we are free right now. Won't the sun set free shall be free indeed. Are you ready to declare with me? <laughs>